And I thought, you know what? I need to stop this job for myself. And I need to also future-proof the company and start a network where we can talk about climate, we can talk about inequality, poverty, and all those issues without having to worry about advertiser revenues or ratings. And the only place to do that is in the digital world. And the only way to do that is to make a network that's free. I'm Talib Vizram, and this is World Changing Ideas, where we investigate how leading innovators are solving our most challenging issues. On today's episode, movie streaming in the age of global warming. Whether you turn on Disney+, Amazon Prime, or Apple TV+, you're watching content in an entirely new way than you did just a few years ago. With new and original programming, these streaming platforms compete with Hollywood's legendary studios like Warner Brothers and iconic entertainment brands like HBO. In response, major media companies are hitting back. Last spring, NBC Universal launched Peacock, and Warner Media kicked off HBO Max. We want people when they think of HBO Max, when they think of all the things that they can get from HBO Max, uh, we want people to think that, wow, these stories, they're a cut above. And that really plays into the legacy and the history of HBO. I couldn't be prouder of the work that they've done. We're talking about a nearly 100-year legacy of quality, and that's exactly what we're going to do to lean into it. Warner Media CEO Jason Kylar said he wasn't worried about HBO Max joining the already very crowded streaming landscape. The platform has projected about 120 to 150 million subscribers by the end of 2025. Along with offering original video subscription services and creating spaces for more video storytellers, direct-to-consumer streaming also allows audiences more access. Because of COVID, the Sundance Film Festival launched its first all-digital portal last year. The global pandemic hit and we realized that we had to reimagine everything. That's Sundance Film Festival director Tabitha Jackson. Before the festival began, she said her team wanted to create a way for filmgoers and filmmakers to gather. On the festival's custom-designed online platform, they were able to chat with each other in virtual waiting rooms and then watch film premieres together before asking questions of the cast and crews. This feels like a grand experiment. So people who either couldn't afford it or couldn't make the journey, couldn't navigate the icy streets of Park City, can now come to Sundance. We're bringing Sundance to them. Expanding on the engagement part of these online platforms is the next step in video distribution. And that's what my guest today set out to do with her latest venture. Ellen Windermuth is a veteran of the film industry. Having encountered sexism from her male bosses when she first started out, she decided to found her own production company in 1994 called Off The Fence. Now she has founded a new on-demand streaming platform that is dedicated to environmental content. Oh, and she executive produced My Octopus Teacher, which won the Oscar for Best Documentary Feature at this year's Academy Awards. Welcome, Ellen. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Talib. Of course. 
Alan, can you tell us a little bit about how the idea came about for an on-demand environmental streaming service like Waterbear? Yes, it came from many years of running a documentary production and distribution company. So I ran a company that I started in 1994. I called it uh, Off the Fence. And we did productions for many, many national broadcasters, cable satellite broadcasters, and platforms for years At one point, I sort of thought, maybe I'm getting old, but I'm hearing a lot of, you can't say that because it won't get ratings, or you can't film that because our advertisers won't like it and it will hurt our advertiser revenues. Mm. And I thought, you know what, I need to stop this job for myself. And I need to also future-proof the company and start a network where we can talk about the sustainable development goals, where we can talk about climate, we can talk about inequality, poverty, and all those issues without having to worry about advertiser revenues or ratings. And the only place to do that is in the digital world. And the only way to do that is to make a network that's free. So you mentioned the the UN Sustainable Development Goals. How, how do they play into your production strategies? Well, we've been working as, as off the fence. We've been making feature documentaries for many years and television programs. We've run events at the UN and worked with members of the UN before. We felt that these 17 SDGs were 17 terms on which all UN participating nations agreed. And we wanted to start our network with that consensus because it's a really strong consensus. These are 17 words that good storytelling can turn into real values that our audience can grasp, understand, and learn how to ask for as well. For those who might not be familiar then with, with Water Bear, what are some of the things they might be able to watch if they, if they signed up? There's a really nice series with Jack Harry's called The Breakdown. And Jack Harry's does a really good job uh, explaining climate change to people who've really not had the opportunity to fully understand what it is, what its implications are. It's produced for a young demographic, so it's fun and easy. And I think that's a really good idea we're working on. We're also working with Indigenous people on telling living stories. So instead of calling these stories myths and legends, which makes them sound irrelevant, these stories are still very relevant for how indigenous communities all over the world keep their balance with nature and keep their balance with each other and with cohabitation. So we have a living story that I really like that we just produced called Mother of the Sea, a story about a small community in Greenland. We have a lot of stories on biodiversity because our first quarter after launching Water Bear was dedicated to biodiversity and why it's so relevant for all of us. Um, the second quarter is dedicated to climate, which is going on right now. So you'll see a lot of stories around climate change and explaining climate better, especially using interesting people that are doing interesting things to change the game. The third quarter will be dedicated to circularity. So that means circular economy, regenerative economy, donut economy, they're all the same thing, but we wanted to explain a little bit more and do more stories about what circularity is and what it means to various businesses and various communities and various people. And the fourth quarter at Water Bear is going to be dedicated to community. And that's where we can really tackle all the other SDGs that were not dealt with in the first three quarters.
quarters. So after four quarters of water bear, we will have told stories pertaining to all 17 sustainable development goals. And I think people will have a really thorough grasp of what they mean. That's really cool. And to tell some of these stories, you're, you're working with a lot of charities and NGOs. Yep. Is that right? Can you talk about how those relationships work? It's brilliant, actually. WaterBear is the first platform that is working with over 100 NGOs. They've all agreed to be together on this platform. So each NGO have their own bespoke page on which they publish their videos, their articles, their content, their field work, whatever they want to put on there. But our production team and our NGO team work with them to source stories that we can shoot and produce in the field about the great stuff they're doing about whatever SDGs they are working with. And that's going really well. So we've produced a ton of those already and are continuing to do so. So we've kind of got everyone from Sea Shepherd on the one side to the Jane Goodall Foundation to, well, a lot of others. And there's actually some more big ones joining us now, you know, Conservation Internationals joined us, kind of everyone who is, I think, really, really effective. Mm. Um, and we're finding it's super positive because the NGOs are very, very collaborative. Ellen, you've you've described Water Bear as, as a platform for entertainment education but also action yeah so there is an interactive part here in terms of being able to take action right H how can people participate well it's very easy we have technology we've actually developed specific technology for water bear that allows you every time you watch something to do things while you're watching so if you if your passion is whales or giraffes or climate change or ocean plastics you can watch something about it and then you can actually choose to either donate to the NGO that's behind the project, you can volunteer, you can share on social media, and you'll be able to do more and more things. We have a live function that we're going to open up soon. So they're going to be live events, on top of which we've already run about 400 little mini events ourselves. So we run little campaigns that we offer our members to participate in. And that could be help us plant 30,000 trees, so we're planting a trail of trees from one part of Scotland close to Inverness all the way to COP. Mm -hmm. There are many, many things like that that people can participate in. So it's a, a community that is action oriented rather than just leaning back and watching content. I just wanted to go back in time a little bit. My Octopus Teacher is is something that a lot of listeners might be familiar with and, and might have watched on Netflix. What drew you to that story and, and why did you want to help tell that story? Well, Craig Foster, the main character in My Octopus Teacher, is one of my oldest and best friends. We made a story together in 1999 or 2000 about how he learned tracking with the Bushmen in the Kalahari and what the plight of the Bushmen was in the Kalahari. Kalahari, which was being shut out by game reserves on one hand and by farmers on the other. That film won a lot of awards, but it also led Craig into this idea when he had this adrenal fatigue of, I'm going to go into the ocean and I'm actually going to teach myself how to track underwater. And so while Craig was feeling very ill, I, I used to visit him all the time. So mm -hmm. um, I visited him one day and we said, let's try to start working together again when you feel well enough. We kept kind of checking in with each other. What have you been, you know, have you been able to photograph? Have you been able to do filming? And one day he said to me, I just met a baby octopus and it's mind blowing. 
So from that day, I sort of said, well, I think that's the film. I think that's a film. And we just need to stay with what you're going through. And as you're getting to know this octopus better, I always say to people, a good film is very often a film that happens to you. And this film happened to us, you know, we're friends. And so it happened to us as part of a very long relationship. And therefore it just evolved quite organically until we took a rough cut to Netflix. And they said, oh, that's a, that's sort of a nice little sleeper. We'll take that on. That's kind of how it worked. Okay. That's a sweet little film. We'll take that on. <laughs> well, it, it is an emotional story, right? And and after its success, you've seen more opportunities for those kind of emotional ecology yeah. documentaries. Can you expand on, on that a little bit? Yes, we've always, I mean, I've always been involved in emotional ecology, as has Craig. In terms of framing and messaging, it's the best way to tell stories. We have seen a lot of opposite examples. We've seen examples of stories about biodiversity or, or climate change or loss of whatever not do very well when there were lots of pie charts and facts and figures and when there's a scientist kind of talking down to you and when you feel this sense of doom and gloom. And we think that now more than ever, the better way of reaching people is really to normalize care and to normalize action, we do assume that people care and we do assume that people wanna act. And if people call that emotional ecology, they can, but it really is a framing approach and a messaging approach that I think is more about, we know we all care and we know we would all like to heal the planet rather than now we're gonna have an academic tell you how awful things are and what we need to do about it. I think you can see how different the two approaches feel to you, even when I tell you about them. Absolutely. Ellen, you've described yourself as a non-risk taker in the past, <laughs> but, but how has that, that changed now that you've launched Water Bear? And, yeah. and did the kind of media landscape and the way it was changing influence that decision? That's a really good question. And I am by nature. And the reason why I started my business was because I didn't really want to take risks and have people hire me that could maybe fire me. So I thought, I'll just kind of do it myself. Yeah. It has changed. I think many entrepreneurs will recognize this when I say, when I start something like a film or a project or a new business, I do it because it sounds great and it's exciting and I'd love to do it. It just make, makes me feel, oh, it's going to be really easy and I'm just going to do it. I think this is a great idea. And then once you launch, like once we launched Water Bear, we realized that it's a really big job because there is nothing like Water Bear in the market. And the response to Water Bear has been enormous. And the need for Water Bear and more content and more reach in Water Bear is enormous. So we definitely found it to be kind of innocently stepping into what we thought was a VW bug that was going to drive up Mount Everest, but we find ourselves in, in a rocket. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that um, it's important, though, for some documentaries like My Octopus Teacher or, or others to reach a wider audience? Do you think that some should get the Netflix treatment because of how kind of inspiring they are or important they are to, to reach a large audience? Yes. And, and I would extend that to Water Bear. Water Bear is meant to reach a large audience. And if we weren't a startup, then we would be financing lots of these feature docs, right? True. As a startup, we will continue to collaborate with the other platforms. And we do now, we're doing a feature documentary for 
YouTube originals that reaches 2 billion people, right? We're doing wow. feature docs for curiosity stream, which reaches, I don't know how many million people. So we window, we work together, we're finding our way, but we strongly believe that these films should be made for a wide audience. And that's the whole purpose. Ellen, you, you talked earlier about your first production company, Off the Fence, and, and a little bit about why you started it. Was there also a bit of underlying sexism that you face in the film industry that, that I've heard you, you talk about before? Yes. There's a famous yes. story where um, in 1994, I presented to my then bosses my plan to start doing production because at the time, all I was doing was financing and selling. I was sort of a, a sales girl for them, right? Mm -hmm. And they literally, they didn't laugh. They neighed me out of the boardroom. Like they literally just laughed and said, that is the most ridiculous thing we've ever heard. Keep doing your sales and, wow. you know, kind of be a good girl, right? That was pretty hard yeah. to take. So I went back uh, home and then I thought, you know what? I really, really, really want to make documentaries and I'm not going to get any help. So I'm just going to build a company around what I want to do. And I'm going to give that job to myself. Yeah. So the only reason why Off the Fence exists is because I wanted to create a job for myself that would allow me to produce documentaries. And has anything changed in the past kind of 18 months or so in terms of, of COVID kind of uprooting productions? And have you learned any, any lessons from that experience? Yeah, another good question. We're producing two quite big feature documentaries at the moment. The locations were anything from Taiwan to the Amazon, Greenland, India. I can name a few more. Yeah. The first really positive thing I learned was I work with an amazing team who are dedicated, whether they're in the office or not, who keep their cool, whether they're in the office or not. I really thought, because a lot of my team are young people, I thought they're going to get so nervous about setting up these remote shoots and handling yeah. this extraordinarily difficult location scenarios from home. But they did an incredible job. So the, the human experience of COVID was overwhelmingly positive. The other great thing was that we discovered a lot of teams that were on location. I didn't know how many good remote teams there were in places like Brazil or India or other parts of Southeast Asia. That was also really interesting. Still very challenging is the thing that people don't like to talk about, which is there is an underlying and constant anxiety while you're producing during COVID because you just don't know what's going to happen next. You're scheduling a shoot. Is the quarantine going to be lengthened? Are these guys getting the right vaccines? Is there a new variant? You're just constantly up. So all of us were like up at night thinking, you know, we're watching things. So it's this constant kind of irritant that pervades production that is wearing for people. So we've really said we really need everybody to take holiday because people are forgetting to take holiday. They're doing very, very long hours and forgetting to take holiday. But actually, you have to take yourself out of this kind of wearying COVID stress to put yourself into a beautiful place with your friends and family, to be able to understand that you, you won't be able to do this without a healthy distance from the fact that you're going to do your best and it's only a job. 
Yeah, I think that's really important. Uh, and so if things do go to plan, what can we expect next from you, you know, from Water Bear or, or otherwise? Well, Water Bear is already launched in 40 countries. We're going to be launched in 120 countries before the end of the year. Wow. We're increasing our social media profile as well. We're becoming a ubiquitous brand. So you're going to find Water Bear branded blocks here and there on broadcasters. We're getting ready. We're doing builds so that we'll be available on boxes, hybrid boxes. So you're going to be able to find us everywhere and you're going to be able to join us from everywhere. I think that's really important because we want people to participate in Water Bear and be part of Water Bear yeah. coming from everywhere. So on the Water Bear side, I think that's really good news. We're doing a lot at COP and we have a collaboration now with the New York Times so that hmm. we're going to be supplying content for events and we're supplying content for uh, circularity events like the Leaders on Purpose Conference. We're, of course, supplying content for big eco events like Jackson Wild Festival. You're going to see us hopefully more and more and our members, I think, will be growing accordingly. Mm -hmm. We're doing a series now on air pollution, right? So we're going to try that when we go out and say, we'd like to talk to you about what traffic pollution does to people in London or what heavy industry does to people in Europe, right? We're bringing an example on Holland. So we'll, we'll test. What do the audiences think of that? How do you mm -hmm. like that? And how do you like more general topics like, you know, the Jack Harris explanation of climate change? What is that? How does it happen? Or the smaller stories. So that's going to happen on that end. And then on the feature doc side, I'm in the middle of post-production on a feature documentary about circular economy. And I was asked by two really great people how we can tell a story to explain what circular economy is. And I said, the only way to tell it is to make it about economic biomimicry. That is to start the film with where our story starts, which is in nature, the human and nature relationship. And the fact that the earth is a gigantic circular system, which is Dr. James Lovelock's Gaia theory. So we start our story with that. And then we tell you the story of four different people who had pivotal experiences that changed their thinking into working entirely on different aspects of circularity. So it's a cool film. Very cool. What's the name of that, that film? It's got a working title still. We're calling okay. it Going Circular. And Great. it's going to be on Curiosity Stream and on Arte and some more broadcasters to be announced. Great. Look out for that for sure. Final question, Ellen, and I, I guess one that underpins you know, this, this whole venture. In what ways do you think can storytelling change the world? I think that storytelling is way faster than showing people PowerPoints or pie charts. And I think that storytelling works bottom up. And therefore, you know, we, the audience, we, the customer, should be empowered to vote with our wallets and vote with our behavior to ask multinationals and ask governments for what we need to heal the planet. So that's why I believe in this constructive approach to storytelling, because my, my basic assumption is, and the assumption on which Water Bear operates is people do care. Ellen, thank you so much for, for coming on and talking to us about Water Bear. You're very um, welcome. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Tali. Very nice to talk to you. Yeah, so I just recently watched My Octopus Teacher and and I was really drawn in, as we are with, with most movies and, and TV shows that we watch, because it really hits kind of an emotional button. It, it really taps into emotion, right? Rather than 
like Ellen said, watching a PowerPoint or, you know, watching annotated notes or something about climate change. And the fact that Waterbear is, is a free service, you know, you can get into that and watch the documentaries that are important to you, help the charities that, that are important to you. And then obviously Waterbear makes it really easy to, to take action. You know, right after you've watched something, when you're feeling moved by something, you can, uh, you know, help make a change. That's it for our show today. Join us next time to learn more about the innovative leaders seeking to make a difference in our ever-changing world. Please give us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Talib Vizram. Our show is produced and edited by Avery Miles.